Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 343 Podcast. My name is John Pronich, and I am your host. And on today's episode, I have Mauricio Ingracia. Now, Mauricio was born in Argentina, but when he moved to the United States as a young boy, he had just a few English words in his vocabulary. The language barriers didn't stop him from playing the game that he'd become familiar with in his hometown of Rosario, But little did he know that someday he would become one of the most recognized coaches in the Southern California soccer scene. Mauricio is currently the head coach of the women's program at Long Beach State. And in addition to that, he also serves as the director of coaching for Beach Football Club. In this episode, him and I talk about his instant immersion to this foreign culture as a kid, his vision for his club and for his college teams, and his time spent at La Masia in Barcelona. Now, just a reminder, you can find all of our podcast episodes on 343coaching.com. Now, that includes my conversations with Bob Bradley, Eric Winalda, and Hugo Perez. On 343coaching.com, you can also sign up for one of our memberships, either the free or the premium coaching memberships, that will help you reduce your trial and error cycle and help you learn our possession-based methodology. Now, that's 343coaching.com, the number three, number four, number three, coaching.com. Okay, with that, it's time for you and I to venture into my conversation with Mauricio Ingracia. Enjoy. All right, welcome back to another episode of the 343 Podcast. On today's episode, we have the head coach of Long Beach State University's women's program, Mauricio Ingracia. Did I say that right? I feel like I messed that up already. You sound like my Italian... Uh... My Italian long lost family, that's C, is supposed to be sound, uh, sound uh, but it's in Gracia. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I got into the same problem when I interviewed um, Christian Pulisic's dad. I said Pulisic because I'm Croatian, and I figured they're Croatian too, so they probably say it like me, but uh, <laughs> wasn't wasn't the case. And I heard on the ESPN broadcast for the first time when they were introducing him that they are saying the name all different. I was like, oh, man, that's embarrassing. I didn't even ask him how to say their name. Uh, well, anyways, uh, welcome to the show, Mauricio. Um Let's start with a little bit about yourself. So listeners uh, might not know who you are. So let's, uh, let's give them a little, uh, a little rundown about you. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm uh, the head coach here at Long Beach State. I've been here for 12 seasons. And um, I've grown up in the United States, but uh, originally from Argentina. Um, I came here uh, as a 10-year-old. Um, and I always like to tell people that I, the, the four words that I knew were yes, no, dog, and cat. And, um, and yeah, I was thrown into, uh, I was immersed in, uh, into the culture here uh, without any Spanish speakers. Um, and uh, I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't throw a football. I, I didn't know how to hold a bat. And uh, the only thing that I was better at than, than most kids was 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 soccer, was football. So, uh, and really, I never really played organized uh, in South America. I was, I was, um, played every day after school. And um, so, so soccer became my passion um, from a very young age uh, here in the U.S. in Southern California. And uh, it's kind of stayed with me ever since. I, I played uh, in high school. I, I, I played uh, club locally here uh, for Cerritos United. Uh, my coach was Louis Balboa for about five seasons, uh, Marcelo Balboa's father. Um, and from there, I went on to play uh, at San Diego State for uh, two seasons. Um, and then I finished up at Cal State Fullerton and um, 
uh, right around my my senior year, I, I, I started coaching at my alma mater, and uh, that turned into from a fresh off to a varsity assistant to a head head varsity uh, to assistant coach at a junior college to head women's coach at the junior college locally here at Long Beach City College, and then uh, nine years later, I started at Long Beach State, and here I am today. And I'm going to kind of backtrack and give people a, a little history on how I first started interacting with you. And and I guess we'll, we'll fast forward a little bit too. I, I ran into Mauricio at a U.S. Development Academy game in Los Angeles, LA Galaxy versus Real SoCal. Uh, we, we ran into each other in the stands. And that was actually the first time we had met in person. And I wasn't sure if Mauricio had remembered interacting with me several years ago, but when I was coaching a girls high school varsity team, I actually had organized via email a a tour of the Long Beach State campus uh, via Mauricio, and then it was actually one of the assistants that gave us a walk around of the facilities and everything that day. So I had actually never interacted with with Mauricio other than email, and I had uh, flooded his inbox with videos of my team and some of the players on my team that were looking to go places and and it was funny that uh that we had just never never really connected until uh about a week ago when that when we ran into each other in LA um but yeah uh jumping back into i guess uh the history of you the the, the start of of your soccer career sounds like you probably got your first interaction with a soccer ball in Argentina what what was uh what's your first memory like of soccer as a kid um well I grew up in a city uh named Rosario which is a very big soccer city a lot of passion um it's the same city that Messi's from um and and now you have some of the coaches successful coaches uh from there like uh Pizzi the head coach of Chile um, you have San Paoli, um, you have Tata Martino. Those are those are all people that grew up in that same uh, uh, small little soccer crazed town. And uh, I just re- I remember going to the stadium uh, when I must have been about three years old uh, with my dad and with my uncle. And we went and watched. Uh, my dad took me. He was telling me about uh, Mario Kempes, and he played for our local team. And I was in the stands. And I remember watching him play. That's my very first soccer memory. And watching. Watching Kempes run around, he had short hair, uh, but the yeah, I remember the jersey and him, uh, you know, being around the eighteen, and I was behind the goal. And what about like soccer, like organized soccer, or or your first interaction, like actually playing? What what was it like down there in in Argentina as a as a young kid? It sounds like you left there around ten years old. Yeah, I was I was about ten, and. Um, you know, I, there wasn't any, I didn't play any organized, uh, ball. It was all like street ball, um, and PE and recess. And I, I remember just everything with soccer, everything. Uh, you didn't go to recess. You, you played soccer. Um, after school, my mom would make me do my homework and then go play soccer until dark. Um, and then we, we played, um, during, during the regular, you know, PE hour, um, it was always the 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 kids born in '71 playing against the kids born in '72, so I guess that was somewhat organized, uh, but never formally for a club or anything like that. Um, it was just 
you know, it was, it was an everyday type thing. Um, uh, I, I guess you would equate it to maybe the way basketball is played in the inner city. Uh, but it was very uh, yes, out in the streets uh, with friends, and and I didn't I didn't put on uh, a uniform and, and and cleats on until until I was here. Um, and I have a funny story about that because I didn't know I could play, and I and I was score I would score goals, and and uh, you know I was a good player. But my American friends had to teach me offsides kind of in sign language a little like it, it, it was it was funny I kept I kept getting caught off sides and, and my friends had to had to teach me I have some good friends in the game uh, even to today we always talk about this um, as, as Bernie Lillevoix I don't know if you remember that name he uh, he's involved with uh, futsal he was on the, on the on the futsal circuit for the US and then uh, another guy uh, played at Northridge Bobby Guerrero uh, yeah his parents would pick me up take me to the games and yeah they, they taught me off sides pretty funny <laughs> that is pretty funny but coming from a, a street soccer background i guess yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't know those those types of rules right um i'm curious so you were born in argentina are your your parents are from argentina or they are american they were americans living in argentina what, what was that like no my parents are were both born in argentina um every one of my great-grandparents uh, goes back to Italy, but uh, yeah, my parents were born in Argentina, and my dad just was looking at her life. Um, he, he he saw some things that he didn't like about uh, the way things were going economically, and and so uh, he 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 immigrated here um, in '81, and uh, about it took him about four months to get settled in, and then he brought the the whole family. So very very grateful to for my dad, and then for 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 this country. And you guys ended up somewhere in, in Southern California, and I think you mentioned it during during the introduction. But where, where did you guys end up? And and then maybe talk a little bit about um, what type of soccer you first got into, if if it was club or if there was like a AYSO league that you first got introduced to, and and maybe talk a little bit about your your playing career once you once you landed stateside. Yeah, no, I think um, I think what happened was my my dad was just trying to find something for me to do. You know, I, I didn't have any friends and I didn't speak the language. I remember um, being stuck playing video games and things like that. So my dad was looking for me for something for me to do. And he found, he kept ask, asked around the neighborhood. And, and all I remember about my first team, which actually had some pretty good, those two guys that I, that I told you about, is uh, they were called the Pumas. And they actually had um, like the, the, the Mexican Puma, the, the you know the, the the face of the puma on the actual pumas jersey in Mexico, that was uh, on our uniform. Uh, that's all I can remember. I couldn't tell you what it was or anything, but we just we were the pumas, and um, and that was we lived in temples, uh, temporarily, which is uh, just kind of near Pasadena. Uh, we lived there for about five months, and I was on that team for for a while, and then we moved down to Los Alamitos, which is uh, closer to like Seal Beach, Huntington Beach area and um and when i moved to Lo to los al uh, i signed up for the a local ayso region and uh, i played there for one season and then i got picked up by a local club team uh played club for a year um i didn't enjoy myself i i i wasn't playing a lot like the, i remember uh feeling like i was more skillful than than most players but not not getting in 
Um, so I didn't like it. And then uh, my dad said, okay, do what you want. And then I went back to play the AYSO as like a 12 year old, uh, one more season. And then I got picked luckily, luckily enough to, to get picked up by Louis Balboa, um, out of Cerritos. And he really, he really helped me a lot. Um, I was playing up a couple of years on his team. And at first I was joke I was playing maybe 10 minutes every other game. But uh, I remember just being super committed and, um, and he was re- really a, a very uh, hard-nosed coach. And um, so after the first year, the second year, I started uh, getting more playing time. And by the end, I, I ended up being uh, his captain. So uh, it was a good ride. And, and, and I'm very grateful to, to Louis and, uh, and what he was able to, to, to bring out in me as a player. Um, and then, you know, I always had the passion. I always loved the game, but I really needed that push. Is there anything that you learned or, or maybe something that Louis said to you as a young player that kind of stays with you today or maybe that you pass along to your players today? I just think that, you know, when you're from, from South America, there's uh, the love of the, the soccer ball, you know, and he used to always tell me <laughs> the soccer ball is, is like your girlfriend. You don't, you, don't, you don't share it. You have, to, you have to take care of it. You have to keep it. You don't give it away. Um, and now that analogy doesn't really quite work, but I do, uh, I do equate it to the cell phone. You know, it's like your cell phone, you know, you don't leave your cell phone. That's the first thing you pick up, the first thing you take with you. And I think the kids really understand that, but really the, 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 the very basic of taking care of the ball was, was the center of our universe growing up playing. And I, I would think that that's, that's the main thing, uh, that, that I took away from that. And you mentioned that that analogy doesn't really equate to today. And, and I guess that's a good kind of segue into what you actually do uh, today. So you're you're the head coach of the women's team at Long Beach State. Uh, you also hold another position at a club in Southern California. Uh, I'm not too sure of what that actually is. So m- maybe you can kind of talk about your, your, your day-to-day uh, within the two roles. Yeah, I know. And then the reason that the reason it doesn't it doesn't uh, hold water today is, that, you know, in this politically uh, correct world, you know, uh, you've got to make sure that, that that you're not saying the wrong thing. But um, um, yes, I am also the the director of coaches for Beach Football Club here in Southern California. It's actually been uh, a wonderful experience for me personally, and uh, and a great project that I took on um, just a few years after. Uh, I got hired at Long Beach State, and really my uh, my drive was to bring the community together. Um, I wanted to um, be able to touch more players on the recruiting end, and um, you know we're a lot of coach players within the 50 mile radius of our of our university. Um, and so I started very small. We had maybe uh, you know less than 10 teams that were committed at first. Uh, it was it was it was called the Long Beach Soccer Club, and and um, they recruited me for about six months. And finally, after my season, I believe it was 2006, um, I, uh, I I accepted, and I, I told them on on three conditions: one, um, that we were going to change the name to Beach Football Club because uh, Long Beach State is is, is the beach. Uh, the second uh, thing that I asked was that we were going to change the colors to black and gold. 
as you know, an image of the university, which is kind of like what I grew up with. As, as a kid, you grow up and you want to play for the first division team. And that's, I wanted to kind of create that environment. Um, and, uh, and the third thing was that, that, that the board wouldn't get in my way of, uh, of soccer decisions. And, um, and I didn't really know what that meant because uh, I'd never been a director. I just had heard nightmares of you know, boards um, you know, getting in the way or people that don't know soccer making decisions. And so I just kind of threw that out there. And they, and they, they assured me that I would be making all the soccer decisions for the club that they were just they were just there to to, to help me and um, and I learned so much just from you know even just being in the in the in the initial meetings uh, learning how how something like that works um, and and we the club has grown tremendously um, I'm, I'm very uh, fortunate and very proud of of the work that we've done and it's not just me there's so many people so many moving parts now that um, that yeah and, and recently uh, about after about ten years of work now we've uh, been named into the developmental academy as one of the initial 25 clubs so so it's it's, it's been uh, it's been a lot of work but it's been uh uh very very gratifying and when you say named in the into the development academy uh i know beach as a predominantly uh female club or or like a female powerhouse i guess you could say in southern california so when you say development academy is this part of the the new uh, I guess extension of the academy going to the the girl side. Yes, it's the new. Sorry, I should have said that it's the, on on the girl side. Um, we do have some boys teams, um, but like I said, we're it's a it's a it's a ten year type uh, uh, project that I took on, and so about three years into it is when ECNL came. And, uh, and quite frankly, we, we just weren't ready. We weren't, we weren't competing at that level at that time. We were just building it. Um, and so we did not um, get into the ECNL side on the girls' side. On the boys' side, um, it's a different uh, landscape in terms of the uh, academy for boys coming in right around uh, that time as well. And we definitely weren't ready for that. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, so, so the girls' side, I, I believe because of the affiliation to the university, um, really took off and – a lot of the local girls, um, you know, we, 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 we did promotions and, and, and you know, when, when you see the university wearing somewhat similar jersey than, uh, than, than you have and, and, you, and they're saying go beach and, you know, we're beach. And I, I think I wanted little girls to dream um, about playing, uh, whether it was playing for Long Beach State or just or, or playing in college. Um, and, and, and I really feel like that we made that connection and, and, and that's what helped the, the club take off on the girls' side. Uh, on the boys' side, we have some very, very good teams as, uh, as well, more uh, in the South Bay area. Um, and uh, and I, I feel like uh, it's been a slower process just because of the academy and how advanced things got. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, we have the, the – my ultimate goal, I always tell everybody, is to bring uh, men's soccer into Long Beach State. So. I guess so. You started with the with Beach ten years ago. It sounds like yes. And around that time, you, the club had ten teams. What do you What are you guys at today? What's What does Beach look like right right now? Beach now um, we have two two hubs. So really, it's it's um, and and they work kind of separately. Um, so one is in the South Bay, 
Um, and that has, so basically it's two, two normal size clubs into, in that work together. So in the South Bay, we have, uh, between 40 and 45 teams. And in the Long Beach area, we have a little bit less, but, uh, but yeah, we're close to, when you put them all together, we're, we're between 90 and a hundred given uh, any given, given year. But, uh, but yeah, that's, um, that's our club and it's really helped us, um, build better teams as, as, as they get older. Because now we've got uh, players that uh, you start putting them together at the older ages, and now you've got some serious talent in an area that's very rich for soccer. I'm going to kind of bounce around in my my list of questions. I have a, a lot of things I want to ask you, but you kind of mentioned that the goal of Beach was to transition players into the college game. So when you think about players in college right now, and players that are coming from all these clubs and wherever they're at, but Southern California is definitely a a hotbed for, for club soccer. But as these players are going into college right now, what are they missing? Uh, That's a good question. Um, When, well, it it just depends on, uh, on which, what you, what you're, which, which, uh, lens you're looking at from, at it from. But I think in general, um, I think we are getting players, uh, at least on the female side that, uh, that don't watch the game enough. I think, I think, um, I think that would be my, my, my biggest uh, gripe. Um, you know, gr- having grown up in a, in a soccer area where, um, you know, every, every grandmother in the corner knows who should, who the left back is on the local team. Um, and, um, not only who, who it is, but who it should be, <laughs> um, here I ask, you know, I, I, I always ask this question and, and, and a lot of times they can't, they can't answer, um, who the left back should is on the galaxy or who, or, or, or any local team. So, um, I think just that, that culture is, is, is what's missing for us to go to that next level and. Um, and I, and I do, we do a lot of work on that with, with beach and, and, um, you know, getting, trying to get the players more passionate about their, their craft. Um, but I would say that's the biggest thing because I think that can ignite a lot of, uh, self-learning, a lot of, um, passionate, uh, guided self-discovery about, uh, you know, about the game, about, about what, what, uh, what can make you better as a player. And I kind of I, I want to ask you the same question about coaches in college. Now, I've interviewed a, a handful of guys that, that that coach college, and and I go on the university's website, and I see that a lot of these guys have been there for ten, fifteen, some of them tw- over twenty years. And I'm curious. I, I guess I can break this up into into two questions. What's different now in college soccer than when you first started 12-ish years ago at, uh, at Long Beach? And then the follow-up question would be, what are college coaches missing now today? What, yeah, what, 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 what's missing still? Well, let's start. Let's get the first question. Man, soccer's changed an, an incredible, uh, incredible amount. Um, I always look at myself and, and I always think, I think of myself like in semesters at a time. So like six months ago, man, I, I always ask myself, what was I thinking? You know, what was I doing? 
because I feel like uh, I'm, in a, a, I'm in a different place just in six months of time. And really, that's like a semester at a time. Um, so you can imagine from the very beginning to now how much it's evolved. And, and I think when I think of that, I, I really uh, have to give a lot of credit to the revolution of positional play. And, and if you can remember back uh, seven, eight, nine years ago, when um, you know we people were, I remember clearly uh, when Italy wins the World Cup in a four-five-one, uh, and everybody goes out here and they're all playing, you know, four-five-one and, and 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 dropping their lines back. And and now we've got a lot of people that are uh, really playing uh, aggressive, attractive soccer with a high line, and um, and 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 that's just great to see that the that, that evolution has has come to that. Although, and now we're, we're going back a little bit in, in terms of like, you know, you're, now you're finding Simeone, who's kind of the antidote to, to, to the Pep uh, kind of revolution there. Um, we, we, we're seeing Conti, uh, but really it, 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 it goes in cycles. At least it's out there now. And, and I feel like there's a lot more people playing, trying to play attractive soccer. And, and by that, I mean being able to keep the ball uh, circulate the ball, try to dominate possession, because I do feel like that's the future, especially for uh, when you're trying to develop kids. When you're trying to develop kids and they're getting all these touches on the ball and the movement off the ball is good and, and they're, they're possessing the ball, really that's what gets, makes kids better. Um, and then your second question as far as what, what, what's a college coach missing, I mean, I, I don't know that I could answer that. You know, I, I'm a college coach myself and I'm sure I'm missing a lot of things, but um, I think... Um, you got to understand the setting that we're working in, um, and it's very it, it, it limits us as, as as coaches. We we don't have um, we have a lot of times during the year where we can't have contact with our players. So talking about a four a three or four month in the summer, where we we can't really talk to them, we can't really uh, train the players. We've got to uh, rely on what they're doing outside or setting a good culture for them to to be able to 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 continue to improve or at least maintain their level. Um, during the year, we have uh, limited hours of contact with them. So I think the, the setting uh, kind of limits us as, as coaches. Um, but, you know, it's a, the, the, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that, that, that the sport is tied to education. Um, and I can't tell you how many kids are coming on to want to, to be in this setting because they can, they can get an education uh, while playing the sport they love. And if they're good enough to play pro, maybe they get drafted after. But if not, then they have something to, to fall back on. And, and uh, I, do, I do enjoy that part, the, the uh, educational side of it. So some coaches, I mean, a lot of coaches are, you know, educators first. And, and, and you know, it's not a professional setting. Um, so maybe that, that affects a little bit of the soccer. But um, I, I hope you got the answer that, that you were looking for. No, I mean, it's not necessarily I'm looking for an answer. Um, but I am curious, though, when you talk about the setting and the no contact and, and the short season and, 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 and things like that that are really, I mean, out of your control as a, as a coach. And uh, not to say that, that, a, that a college coach can't do good work in, in that short amount of time, but th- there are those moments just because of the rules uh, that that kind of put a damper on things. But when we start talking about like the U.S. winning a World Cup or, or having senior level success, male or female, uh, right. do you consider college soccer to be 
part of the problem of us not having that success or part of a eventual solution? Is it different for male and female? Uh, what, what are some of your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, no, I think, I think the competition is different. You know, I think, um, on the, on the male side, it's, it's, uh, you know, college soccer is not enough, um, to where on the female side, um, it has been enough up to, at least up to now. I mean, we just won a, a world cup with players that were predominantly developed in the college system. Um, however, you know, the rest of the world's putting more resources into it. And, um, and I do feel like that's why the U S soccer is coming out with the developmental academies to be able to organize things better and, and give them more repetitions of the right, doing the right things in the right environments so that we can develop more players, um, at least in the first couple stages of player development. And then, yeah, obviously the college level, the college is, is here to stay. And so, you know, a big majority of the players are going to go through the, the, the college years, uh, and you're going to see some late bloomers come out of that. Uh, I don't think that'll ever go away. I think, I think people will continue to play for an education. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely I don't feel college is enough. Uh, when you're talking on the world stage, um, you know, when you have, uh, uh, people that, that do it for a living, they do it every single day. Um, and they take maybe two weeks off a year where the college player takes so much time off. And, you know, in, in the springtime, um, uh, there's only five opportunities to play. So it's really difficult to, to improve at the rate that maybe the rest of the world improves. Uh, but you know, I think that problem has been identified. I think it's been on, on the docket here for the NCAA to, to go to a year long season. Uh, I support it. I always have. Um, and, uh, I think if we can, if we can, you know, get ever get to that, get a vote that goes to that, I think that would be a start into, into having, uh, college soccer really, uh, help in that last stage of, of player development, even though right now it seems like it helps on the women's side. It's it may be more of a uh, uh, not an illusion, but uh, due to the fact that other countries haven't really put all their resources into the to the female game, uh, but now they're starting. You know, now they have. Now they're they're starting to. So um, you know, I think it'll be really interesting over the next ten years how how things are going to go. I'm super curious. I, I've I've actually uh, I, I didn't even know that people were were discussing the possibility of the year-long calendar and and things like that what what's that conversation like I, it sounds like it's probably infant stages but um it's it's on the radar of ncaa or yeah no absolutely it has been it's been brought forth by the by the men's side and then uh it trickles up down to the women's side in our meetings and and uh you know it's been like okay who's in favor who's not and I'm passionately in favor of it. And then you know, there's people that aren't in favor of it. And they, and they, they view uh, our sport as, you know, and the college experience as, um, you know, uh, the student athlete and, and, and the welfare. And, and uh, so there's lots of passionate arguments on both sides. But no, it's definitely uh, on the docket. Um, and uh, I think there's a concerted effort to really go to that year-long season which which would be more like uh you know the the, the way that young uh, 18 to 22 year olds would mature um in, in a normal setting if, if it was if you were we were europe per se does u.s soccer get involved in any of those conversations like with with ncaa is there any is there any influence that they have or 
anything? I don't. I don't know that they. I don't know anybody has influence over the NCAA, but uh, I'm sure that that they're all for it. I, I, I don't see why they wouldn't be, uh, since a large portion of their players are coming out of uh, out of that environment. Uh, maybe I I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly, but I, I'm sure uh, indirectly somewhere U.S. soccer is pushing for it. Yeah, it it only seems logical for them to to want to kind of get a little more control over that that four-year period of, of player development. Um, I actually want to take a take a turn and, and, and go back uh, to the start of your coaching career and, and how exactly you got into coaching and, and what some of your early influences were, who sure. some of your early influences were, and, and, and how you kind of evolved into this now head coach of Long Beach State and director of coaching of, of Beach Football Club. Sure. No, it's it was kind of by accident. Um, I remember that uh, what I remember is my my high school coach needing uh, hearing that they needed a, a frost soft coach, and I was still in college. And uh, I remember that they uh, paid fifteen hundred dollars and they paid it all at once. And back then, that was a a lot of money. So. Um, I went and I started. I, I inquired and I got a hold of my coach, and he said, "Sure, that'd be great." And I started with the fresh off, and really, my motivation. I was. I never wanted to be a coach. I just wanted to be able to shoot on the goalies and and, and train, and uh, you know, and play with. That was my idea of what coaching might be, you know, and and then and then try to help some kids out. But but then I fell in love with it. I remember about two weeks in, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is this is great to be able to, um, you know, move the chess pieces around and kind of." Influence the game and influence the the players. Um, I remember the players, a uh, great group of young kids, hardworking, and and um, and it and it and it took off from there. That was my my how I started as a fresh soft coach, and then I became a little more serious about the game. Um, and uh, I was asked to coach a local club team, um, and uh, and I did. I was that was about maybe two years into the to the high school uh, gig and. And then uh, my the head coach of our of our high school uh, ended up um, leaving the job, and um, I here I was I was maybe 22, 23, and and uh, they're asking me to be the head coach, and uh, I thought they were crazy. I didn't, I was twenty two years old, you know, and um, just you know fresh out of college, and I thought I'm not, they're never they'll never hire me, and and sure enough, the the parents um, did a petition and. Uh, or not a petition, but they, they, they wrote maybe a few letters and, and there I was getting hired as a varsity coach. I did that for about five years. Um, and then, uh, I was, I would feed some of the kids to the local, uh, junior college over here, Long Beach city college. So the head coach, um, came over and asked me to be his assistant coach. And I went there, um, and I uh, was there for a season. And then all of a sudden the AD come, came out, the women's AD, came out and I remember her being in a panic because she lost her coach and it was April. Um, and then she wanted to know how I would feel about coaching women. <laughs> and I didn't know how, I don't know what that would be like, but all I remember is that she was like, Oh, we're going to you know, pay you whatever it was, maybe twice as much. And, uh, and I said, oh, okay, you know, I'll try it. And, 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 and that's how I got into, into the women's side. Um, so it was all kind of by accident. Um, and then at Long Beach City College, really, we, you know, we were super competitive, and we ended up uh, 
doing super really well. In nine years, we won five state championships. Um, and, uh, and then, um, Long Beach state came knocking, um, after the third, they changed coaches three times. The first two times I applied for the job, I didn't, they didn't call back. And then the third time they, they gave me a, an interview. Um, and I think my passion really shone through, uh, uh, in the interview process, uh, because then, uh, they hired me. That was 2004 and I've been there ever since. And, um, you know, tying the club in, um, was, uh, as, as I'd been a club coach that, that whole entire time during that whole process, um, I wanted to tie it into the university and, and, uh, been fortunate enough to have been working around some great people that have shared in my vision. And, um, now we have kind of a community that, um, is built, that has somewhat of a pyramid um, in uh, you know with, with, from from top to bottom. We have, we have youngers at UA two nines, and then you can go all the way up to to the university, and and even uh, we have our women's team uh, that plays in the WPSL. Um, that that where, where players can young players can can play up in that. And so it's been uh, it's been pretty cool to, to to kind of grow the community and and and. I feel like a lot of what we've done has really kind of put Long Beach on the map on all three fronts. Now, when I first kind of got wind of your work at Long Beach State, I was coaching a varsity girls team. And my girls, it was their first, I think it was the first graduating class of girls that I had had from a club team from when we were, we were like 13. Sure. And so that now they were, yeah, 18, getting ready to go into college. And, and we had started uh, looking at schools for them and, and trying to find places to, to get these players to go. And what really stood out about your Long Beach team is that I felt that you guys were playing uh, the right way or, or, or good soccer, or building out of the back and playing possession and, and like you said, kind of positional soccer. Uh, whoa. Where did you get that from? Because I feel like you probably didn't get that in in Southern California, but you also have your Argentinian roots. So, wh where did you get this idea of, of of how you want your teams to play? Um, that's a great question. It, it um, you know, as we were building the club in the early stages, um, and then ECNL came and and you know it was, a, it was a great idea in terms of how they marketed their their league and whatnot and so if you're on the outside of, of that league especially early on um, there was this feeling that parents got and, and, and players got that if if that you know who you're gonna play against if you're not in that league um, so really there seemed to be more value to be in that league than to be with uh, outside of it and so for us, um, there were several things that I, you know, it made us work. It made me work a lot harder. It made us work harder as a club. Um, and uh, two things that that uh, that I wanted to do. One was to uh, we we created the WPSL, which was a um, a way to uh, create a higher level um, for our younger players to be able to play out. Um, and uh, and the other the other thing I, I I wanted to do, and that was right around the time. Uh, you know, 2009, 2010, when uh, the the Barcelona teams were mesmerizing the world, um, you know, with Messi, Xavi, Iniesta, and the way they were moving the ball, and and man, that I thought I thought we played, you know, I thought I valued 
keeping the ball and, and, and playing possession, possession soccer. But that was just something that I couldn't even dream. And they were doing it with, with, with little guys, you know? And, um, and so then, you know, I, I was like, okay, I, I want my teams to play like that. Um, you know, and how, what, what do I do? You know, and I ended up going, um, overseas. I ended up, uh, taking a tour with, uh, Andrew Zemer and, um, and, uh, my good friend Juan Sanchez, uh, who organized the tour and we were in Barcelona for two weeks and we were, uh, at La Masia from sun up to sundown, taking notes and, you know, getting lectures. We went down to Valencia, watched, watched some sessions. And, um, that was probably the, the most inspiring, uh, two weeks of, of my soccer life. Um, and, and I came back with all these ideas. Um, uh, and the way I saw things, especially at the college level was, was okay. So I'd been doing it now for roughly 20 years. Um, and I'd had some, some some relative success and I could probably do you know continue to coach for another 20 years and have type of similar success or I could really try to push the envelope and play like that and and, and recruit into that and really dive uh, into it um, 100% you know wholeheartedly and, and that's what we did so we brought it back to the college started with our ideas really kind of bumping our way through um, I had uh, two other coaches with me and we would we would train uh, in the mornings, and then at night times we would go and kind of uh, evolve. We, we, we would split up and, and train our club teams and uh, evolve the idea, and then go back to the club, and then uh, come back the, the third day, and so on and so forth. It was over, over an entire spring where we uh, bumped our way through how we wanted to play, uh, very very uh, um, enthusiastically. And uh, I look back at that time as. Uh, a great time. Uh, we had a great time doing that. And, um, and then little by little, uh, I didn't know we were creating a culture. I, I really didn't until I went and watched. Uh, and my team had some very good players, uh, including uh, players that are d doing great in college. One of them was with the U20s this last week. Um, my assistant coach, Jeff Joyner, he had a very good team, very good players as well. Um, his, uh, one, of, one of our players on his team is, is, is going to be in the World Cup uh, for the U20s. Uh, and there are some others that have been in and out of the pool. So we had good teams and we had good talent to be able to, 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 to play with. Uh, but the third coach, he didn't really have the talent. He, and we went and watched his team play. It was a Surf Cup, Surf Cup semifinal. And his team is dispersed completely out of the back. They're, 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 they're playing out. They're stretching the opponent. They're dictating the, the flow. They're, they're, they're doing everything that we, we, we were doing with our, with our team that, that had real player that, that had very good players and he's doing it with players and maybe are not, or we're not at that level. So that's when I, I, I recognized that, man, you know, we were starting to build a little bit of a culture and this is kind of, I, by accident bumped into it. You don't really know how to teach. And, and I feel like coaching is very personal. I don't want to impose a certain style on anyone. I, I'd like to inspire it. And, and, and so, from there, uh, we started opening up our, our training sessions at Long Beach State for our local club coaches to come in, and it just kind of grew. It took off on its own. Um, and then the college, um, you know, ended up evolving uh, to now. So now um, we've got about four years of recruiting um, under our belt into the positional play uh, style of play. Um, and and it, it attracts, definitely attracts a, a certain style of player. Um, and it made, it's made recruiting a lot easier in terms of knowing what we need and going after it. 
can you maybe go into some specifics what what you're looking for and and, and you could be broad or, or choose a certain position or but i think there's a lot of uh there's a lot of parents that listen to this podcast and and a lot of those parents are are probably getting to the stage where their kids are are getting to that age where they need to start putting some feelers out there to, to college coaches and, and maybe they probably would appreciate knowing what they should be doing or what college coaches are looking for. Yeah, no, um, you know, I, I think, you know, the obvious is the physical piece. You know, you got to have a certain physical level uh, to be able to compete at the college level, for, you know, for defensive purposes uh, and whatnot. But then, you know, technically the comfort ball is very important. Um, you know, how, how, how proficient are you on the ball? being able to pass and receive, are you two-sided, um, can you perform, you know, can you, can you um, pass the ball over distance, um, and then are, can you keep the ball, can you, can you keep the, really that's, that's one of the first things I, I look at is how much soccer does a player have, um, you know, so when you put those things together, um, you know, you, the, the last piece would be the mental part, um, what kind of a, uh, is this is this person ready to roll up their sleeves and and uh, especially in adversity? Um, do they work hard? Um, what's their attitude like? Because like 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 I was telling you before, we don't. There's lots of periods uh, during the year where we don't have them. So um, if they're if if they have good character and they're and they're willing to work hard, they can, you can improve. Uh, you can improve your game for sure. But you've got to have that personality. You've got to have that trait that 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 uh, is going to allow you to improve at the college game. Um, but yeah, no, definitely, you know, technically can they pass, receive, um, and then tactically can they, can they make the right decisions? Um, you know, how, how, what, what type of vision do they have? Um, and then for me positionally, what I meant was, okay, so I'm graduating, uh, uh, two center backs this year. Okay. Now I, it, it's, it's, it's very simple. I got to go out and get center back, but not just any center back, the center back that's got to be comfortable on the ball. That is comfortable playmaking. That is comfortable, um, you know, dis- decision making out of the back. And that's hard to find because you see a lot of teams that don't play that way. Um, they uh, the back is, is safety first, and they just and, and they kind of whack it up the field. And and so you know you, you got to go look and you got to go to the to those programs where they they value what you're looking for, so that uh, when it comes here, it's it's a smoother transition. I want to go back to your your trip to Barcelona, and, it, and it's so funny that you went with uh, with the Zemers. And you said you went in like 2009. Is that right? No, we. I went. It was uh, the winter of 2012. I want to say. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I had 2009 in my head. Then I'm sorry. Because um, you're the third. Yeah third college coach I've had on the show that's been on a European tour with the Zemers, which is funny. So Kai Edwards, who's now in Arizona, I think at Arizona state. And then, uh, the former Cal Poly men's coach, Paul Holliker, who's now with the San Jose earthquakes Academy. Um, did, were either of those guys on your trip? I'm curious. Paul was, Paul yeah. was cool. Yeah. Paul was great. And, uh, yeah, no, and Paul, it was Paul's second time. Uh, going and, and and it was my first. Yeah, it was great. What what was the biggest takeaway from 
from your trip? And I mean, it, it could be anything, not just soccer specific, but I mean, culture specific or food or, or something. What, 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 what's something that, that still sticks in your head? I think just, just going over and watching the eight year olds play conceptually the way that the, the first team played, it was incredible. You know, like, um, obviously it's smaller numbers, but you're talking about when, when they have the ball, they're exaggerating the space. You had a little kid on the right side that's wearing number two that was trying to do the same things that Danny Alves is trying to do in the first team. It was, it was, it was crazy. Um, and that made me uh, a believer that it, that, that it is possible. You can um, have, you can brand kind of your style of play. Um, you know, it, it's a lot more difficult here, obviously over there. They, they, they have the very, very best of not only uh, the, the Catalonia, but uh, the local region. And they also had at the time, I remember seeing the best, Cameroonian, the best Korean, uh, where they were finding you know jobs for the parents and whatnot. So they have a cream of the crop, um, and it, obviously it's, it, it, it facilitates. Uh, but you know it, it was nonetheless it was it was, it was I, I saw that it was possible, and and really that's what I brought brought back. And that that really I was every time I think about that trip, I remember that morning on that uh, that field, these, these little kids just moving the ball like. You know, the, the way that the the older kids are, and even the pros uh, would, you know. And bringing the, the information back to the United States, what was the most difficult part about Americanizing what you had experienced in Barcelona? Um, I think the most difficult part is not um, imposing it on anybody and you know, for me to, I don't want to tell anybody how, how they should play. Like I said, I think it's very, a per, very personal thing. Um, and, um, you know, and I was very passionate about it. Um, and I tried to be as inclusive as I could with my coaching staff and, um, and whatnot. And, and, um, but you know, the, the, the most difficult part obviously is if you've seen something, uh, and nobody else has, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, trying to describe it or trying to um, pass it on uh, would be the most most difficult and, 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 and you know, or you know I, I am set to, to organize a trip to take my coaches back there and it hasn't quite happened. Uh, but for the most part I've got very uh, a very good staff of very good people that that um, that helped me helped me tremendously and, and together we kind of evolved uh, what we have now. Um, but yeah, no, I would say that just, just being able to, to share it and explain it. I mean, that you see it on TV, it's one thing, but to be able to, to go out and do it uh, on the field and, and have it translate. I mean, I don't think I had much of a roadmap either, but it was, so it was more of a, um, experimenting and, 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 and seeing what worked and going back and trying to make it better. Or if we're having an issue, uh, up front or, you know, or any part of the field, all right, how do we take that and put it back in our laboratory to create what we want and go back and, and, and do that. So it's been a, it's been a fun, uh, it's really definitely re-energized me as a coach um, and, and, and taught me how much the more there's to learn out there, you know? Have you found it easy or difficult or maybe neither uh, having to graduate players every four years and then bringing in new pieces to the equation? What what is that like for you as a coach, and, and how do you deal with it? Um, 
You know, it, it, it's not as tough as it was at the junior college. Because junior college, you lose half your team every year. Um, this is this is okay but, uh, at the, the four-year level because um, I enjoy the growth of the players. I enjoy um, – I feel like I'm fortunate, fortunate enough to – to be working in that last stage of player development. And so there's so much growth to be made um, so that when you do graduate somebody, you, you, you recognize that there's other players that you can invest in and, and that, are, that can't, that will grow and that will step into to the shoes that are vacated. And, and I also enjoy watching the leadership kind of reinvent itself. Um, so no, it's not, it's not a frustration for me. It's, it's, it's exciting. And, um, uh, and I'm happy that, that I'm able to be a part of their life and, and then they can push forward. And, and, um, and really that's the, the, one, of the, one of the byproducts of starting the women's team was that um, alumni want, want to continue to play and they want to continue to wear you know, the jersey and the colors. And, and so uh, I've got several of our uh, alumni um, that continue to play even after college. Um, and it's been fun because I'm, I'm able to – to bring um, even incoming players that's con still considered a club. So anybody that lives within 50 miles can come in and play, and they're playing with recently departed alumni, uh, among other players, and they get a little taste of the culture uh, a few months before the actual their freshman year begins. So it's been a pretty neat experience um, uh, all around. But, uh, but yeah, so I, it's, it, for me, it's not a problem to graduate players out. And in the pre-interview, you, you you kind of mentioned that you guys have some some or had some big news and a big game coming up this next week uh, for those. It sounds like those uh, graduated alumni and 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 older older players. Um, what uh what's happening? What's happening this upcoming Friday? Oh yeah, no, we have uh, well, Saturday and Sunday. We're in. Uh, we won our division um, in in Southern California. We had the Coastal Division, which is a tough. Tough division, um, and uh, so now we're heading to the playoffs uh, up in Sacramento. We're playing uh, against the Seattle Sounders, the Sacramento Storm, and the San Diego Sea Lions. Um, so one team is going to make it out of that and go to nationals, and the final four is going to be in Columbus the following weekend. So, um, so yeah, so you know, the main goal for our club, for, for the WPSL, was to kind of advance younger players. Um, you know, advance their their development, and, and there's been a, a great little byproduct of uh, of that with being able to have alumni continue to play and and stay involved, and then uh, have incoming players, you know, get a few months of playing in before the season starts, get used to me, I get used to them, they gain they gain some confidence, and they come in, you know, not as scared little freshmen, they they maybe come in as uh, as uh, a little more more uh, familiar with things. Um, but other than that, we have some very good players. And, you know, I have five SC kids, a couple UCLA kids. Um, I mean, there's a lot of talent on this team. That's awesome. Um, how, or I, I don't know anything about a WPSL schedule. Um, what is that like as far as like a season, a season goes? I, I had previously interviewed, um, the owner of the Kitsap Pumas, which they play in, I guess, the fourth division tier of uh, U.S. men's soccer, and theirs is more just like a summer season. It sounds like so, like June to 
July, yeah, June or May, May to August maybe. Um, and I and I had also interviewed somebody from Detroit City FC uh, again on the men's side. Uh, and again, too, for them it sounded it was more like a like a kind of like a summer league. So what is what is WPSL like, and 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 who do you guys play? How far do you guys go? Yeah, WPSL is a summer league as well. It starts uh, officially May first, um, and um, and it goes until this last weekend in July. Um, and really, it's, it's a place for the college, the, the local college player, to to get some games in and get some trainings in. Um, and uh, you know, the 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 league has really grown. There's over it's the biggest, it's the largest league I think in the world. Um, for women's soccer, there's over 100 teams. Um, it's considered, I believe, the second division in, to, to the NWSL. I know there, there was a, the W League was the second division, but it folded, and now there's another brand new league that started this year. This year, um, that they 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 have a handful of teams. Or, um, they have two divisions, just a handful of teams. This league covers pretty much the entire country. Last year, we had the the women uh, from Cholos. Uh, come in and, and from from Mexico, that was that was great. Um, we've had teams from Canada as well uh, in the league, um, and Southern California has really grown. There used to be a handful of teams here, but now that now it's split into two divisions. You've, you've got uh, San Diego Sea Lions, which has been a powerhouse uh, of a club. Um, you've got the Pats have, has a women's team now. LA Premier. Uh, has a women's team. Uh, Legends has a women's team. We have a women's team. Fram Ajax has a women's team. Um, we've, um, there's a, a team from Tucson, a team from Phoenix. Um, so that you've got about uh, roughly 12 to 14 teams all in the southwest area, and it's divided into, into two divisions. And each division champion um, goes into the region final uh, or the regionals and the regionals is the the two southern cal champions uh the northern cal champ which is uh uh the california storm i mean you got brandy chastain's on that team you've got cc from brazil who is in her 40s she plays on that team just it's still a treat to watch her play um plus they they, they get a lot of the you know the, the local stanford berkeley players and then uh, you got the sounders who, who, who are undefeated and i think that's what we play next so um it's a good place to to have uh that summer experience and, and to stay fit and, and and get touches on the ball before you go back to your to your college you know and and, and a lot of our players we're gonna have a, i'm sure there, there's about two or three on our team right now that are going to get drafted next uh next spring we've got several players that have played with us over the past uh, few seasons that are currently playing in the pros. I think we have seven. Um, so uh, it, it's, been a, it's been a fun experiment. It's kind of by accident, but uh, it's turned out to be a, a pretty cool thing. Dude, it's, it's kind of badass what you've, what you've built, actually. And, and I know firsthand it, it's not easy to build anything in, in U.S. soccer. So to think that you went from, from 10 teams to where you're at now with Beach – uh, all while doing this uh, as the Long Beach State head coach, which I know for a while, uh, I think there might have been like a little uh, different rules than than what are currently in place as far as uh, how you can interact with players and, and whatnot. And, and 
I'm sure that that was a struggle. Um, and then adding in this, the, the, the first division team for, for the girls. That's it's amazing stuff, man. Uh, so I, I, I'm sitting here thinking like, what, what inspires you? Like, like what, what makes you want to do all this? Oh man, that's a, another good question. I mean, I get great support from my wife. I mean, she, she is a player herself. So, you know, she gets in the car and goes with me. Um, so I'm very thankful for that. But, um, uh, really it's just the one thing leads to another and then you get drawn into more and more. And, and right now I'm, I'm kind of working on taking stuff off my plate to be honest. But, uh, but you know, just, um, what I think about is my daughter's 13. Um, if she wants to continue playing and she wants to stay local, I mean, if she becomes, she can basically do whatever she dreams of doing. You know, uh, we have uh, a young player by the name of Savannah DeMello who's going to be, she's all CONCACAF. She's been in our club since she's nine years old. And she's one of those players that could have played in any, any club in the country. Um, uh, in, in the country, I mean, in Southern California. Uh, but at 14 or 15 years old, she's playing for the women and she's scoring a goal against the sea lions. I mean, that experience right there, I mean, you can't duplicate for the growth of a player, the confidence, the base of confidence that they get. Um, and, and, and she's hasn't stopped climbing ever since, you know, she's, uh, like I said, she's just with the U20, she's been, uh, uh, and, and she's hopeful to, to be in the world cup right now, uh, um, in, uh, in November and December, um, there's another player named Shannon Simon, same thing, local kid, um, tremendous player, is also uh, in that pool of players for the, for the U20s, and she was playing with our women since she was 15. Um, so I think that really inspires me, um, seeing how, um, how that's possible, um, seeing that third stage of player development and uh, trying to accelerate players, I just, I, I, I get a kick out of out of that. And then, uh, and then obviously, um, my main motivation was to be able to cast a net around our entire area, um, you know, to be able to, to, to improve, uh, our recruiting for, for Long Beach State. And, um, you know, there's certain players that obviously there's, there's, uh, power conferences and whatnot, um, that, uh, that are instantly in people's living rooms. And, you know, we may or may not be one of those schools, but uh, for sure, if, if, if you have a, if your daughter's good, you know, who's in your living room, if you ever, if you can think of it like that. I mean, uh, uh, so, so you tell me, John, who, who would be in your living room if your daughter was a, a great soccer player, a great 16-year-old soccer player? What schools? <laughs> what schools? Well, yeah. I can tell you right now that you are one of just a few uh, schools that I even contacted when I, when I had the girls uh, – when I had the girls' team, um, uh, very much. But well, let's put ourselves in the, the shoes of the normal U.S. family. Who, which which schools? I call them the sweatshirt schools, right? Yeah, no, of course. I mean, the schools that come to mind. I mean, if I'm shooting for the top, then USC, UCLA, uh, Stanford. Uh, those are those are three that come to mind. But those are three powerhouses for the nation, I would say, and they're California schools, so that's why they come to my mind. Right. Um, uh, Michigan. Uh, there's some schools in the South. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you, you know, talk about schools that get national exposure, maybe their football teams help with that. And, and, and they're really entrenched in the American culture. Right. So, yeah. so, 
Um, all right, so those schools are instantly in your living room, and maybe Long Beach State is, is not. Um, however, if maybe you know somehow I coached her when she was young, or my assistant coach coached her when she was young, maybe we can sneak in there. You know, and uh, if 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 there is a, a recruiting battle for you know six or seven of those kids, maybe we lose five, but we get that one, and that's how I feel like we can we can we can get ahead. And uh, really, that's that that was a uh, uh, initially what motivated me to 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 coach club as 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 I I was recruiting a, a few of my club kids, um, and I, I felt like maybe I could touch the community uh, on a, a much wider. Uh, range by uh, by by directing a club and and and, and it's been a, a great experience. Uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's I'm very very grateful and and yeah. Now I'm looking forward to that next chapter. What what is the next chapter? Well, now we you know we're working with uh, U.S. Soccer and the Developmental Academy and and trying to further the game. You know, I'm looking forward to 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 what what is out there to learn. Uh, um, I just recently. Uh, audited my A license, and the game has changed tremendously in terms of you know keeping up with the times, the technology, um, and the, you know the reports we had to turn in for just to do an audit was very eye opening and 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 just very positive. You know, um, learning how to uh, help your players with with scouts, uh, but visually, you know, with powerpoints and um, and and. You know that was a, a good learning experience for me, and I, I feel like there's uh, that's the next level of the game: the, the technology, the um, you know uh, uh, statistically pro zone um, with all that's out there. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that next level. I, I think there's going to be there's going to be so much to learn. All right, I I want to kind of wrap things up, but I want to ask a few more, uh, quick questions that I like asking, uh, that I like asking coaches. Um, so thinking back to when you were like that fresh or fra fresh soft, I can't say that freshman, sophomore coach. I'll say that. There we go. Um, when you were the freshman, sophomore coach, what's one training exercise that stands out in your mind that, that you did as a young coach that you would absolutely never do again today? Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, when we were at San Diego State. We we uh, we used to play butts up. Um, so whoever lost would would have to go butts up, and uh, we actually did it with our college. And you you had guys like Marcelo Balboa shooting at you if you if you were on the losing team. That didn't that didn't feel too good. And um, and uh, I brought it to obviously I was still playing, so I brought it to the to the high school. Uh, but that I did away with that pretty quickly. I would never in a million years do that now. <laughs> and and that's more of a, that, that's not even an exercise, but, uh, yeah, no, I would never, that, that's the first thing that came to mind. I mean, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta change, right? No, it's funny. Cause we all have those like little, uh, little things that we picked up along the way, whether it was from a, from a coach, uh, maybe we had as like a, as a, as a rec coach or something. We, and we always bring that into when we first start coaching. So it's always funny to hear like how people got their, got their start. <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean, I mean, they, you know, obviously the game is—it's a simple game. Um, you know, maybe maybe when we first started, there was, you know, the, the things about people standing in line and, and and those types of things where you learn to organize your your environment better. Uh, but I can't even think that far back about what we did. I I remember those times as 
we would have like three hour practices and really they weren't really practices. We just played and we played till dark and it was, it was awesome. And I, and I, I remember those, those, those times, like it was, uh, I guess some of my, my, my most fun coaching times. And now fast forwarding to today, what's, uh, what's one training exercise that you, I either would call your favorite or that you, that you do all the time. Religiously, religiously. Um, I would have to say it's if you ask my players, it would be passing patterns, and it would be uh, some sort of rondo every single day, every time we touch the ball. Des- describe the passing patterns. Um, passing patterns is um, we have different types that we do. I mean, there uh, we'll, we'll do a, a wide passing pattern. Um, we will do uh, diamond passing patterns, triangle passing patterns. Um, and what we're trying to do is get the proper weight of the pass and really emphasize uh, the what foot you're playing to, how you open up your body, um, peeling off the, the, the back of the defender, um, working on your first touch if it's a layoff or a pass back. There's a difference in the, in the weight of the pass. So really uh, fine-tuning the, the, the little details that you need in order to be able to perform it um, during the game, um, in the setting. Um, so, so that's, that's the, in, in a nutshell, what our passing pattern situations are like. And, and obviously you, uh, you know what three, four, three is, I'm sure you know what we're about and, and passing patterns for us are, are, uh, are a big deal, a big part of training. And, and hopefully coaches are, are starting to catch on that it's, uh, it, it's crucial to train those types of things in, in that type of environment. And, and that's where kids get in the habit of yeah, re- receiving on their far foot and, and receiving with proper body angles and, and things like that. That's all kind of, uh, born and bred in, in, in these passing patterns. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and I like to tell the kids that you communicate via your pass, you know? So if your pass is behind someone, you're telling them that they need to go a certain way, or if it's in front of them, then you're telling them something different. Or if it's hard, it's, you're telling them every pass tells a story. Every pass uh, uh, communicates, and, and and how and what are you trying to communicate, and and why? And so I think it really gets the kids to think, and um, and and I enjoy that 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 breaking the game down to that unit, uh, and then bringing it to the bigger the bigger side. So, all right, we'll we'll end with uh with one last question too. Um, what advice? would you give to a young player right now? Um, I think um, I heard something uh, a few months ago that I really enjoyed, that I really like a uh, way to look at the game. Um, looking at a player's development as, as being two lives. Um, one, the, the life of, that your team can provide you, your team setting, your team environment. And then the other 50% is the life outside of your team setting. Um, and, um, and really investing um, in that second life of, of, of your development and understanding what, you know, what makes you better as a player. Um, and, and, you know, if it's technically, you know, doing that on a daily basis, uh, using the wall uh, for repetition. If you give the wall a bad pass, it'll give you a bad pass back. 
working on your weak foot, working on receiving, on turning, all the technical details that you can work on daily, um, learning how to improve your, your tactics, right? Ta- um, watching games and, and watching as much game, uh, as, as much soccer as uh, maybe our, uh, our, our basketball players watch in this country and, and knowing the game and knowing the nuances. Um, I, I would say, you know, I, I, I want to teach them about that second life, about how important it is to, to, to be a self-starter and a self-learner and, many kids that think that uh, you know you go to training twice a week and you're going to be a player and and, and that's so wrong um, you know it, it takes a lot of work and it's every day that you got to invest every day you're getting a little better or a little worse um, so uh, so yeah I would, I'd, I'd want to give the advice of them understanding um, about how much how important it is to have that second life I think if you ask any top player uh, they would tell you all the things that they did outside of their team uh, in order to to, to improve Right on, man. Well, like I said, what you're what you're currently working with in in Long Beach, what you've built already, and 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 what you probably have going on in the future, it's it's badass, man. And and I wish you the best of luck. And and uh, we'll check in with you again sometime in the future. Uh, I'll have some links on three four three coaching fm for anybody that wants to visit um, visit Mauricio's. Uh, club page or his uh his college page and then you can also interact with him on twitter uh remind remind me what your uh what your twitter name is it's at misoccer.com at misoccer.com okay uh so if you guys want to reach out and continue the conversation with uh with mauricio feel free i hope i didn't just put you on the spot there (laughs) i enjoy it cool um appreciate it very much (laughs) all right man and uh, we will uh, we will catch up with you again in the future. Okay, cool. And a, a little bit a little bit of uh, trivia here. Uh, I'm the same town that the Clivens are from. Is ah, I didn't know that. That's cool. So they, they support the wrong team. Oh, okay. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Where are you guys? Uh, where, remind me what town it is again. Rosario. Okay. All right. I'll have to mention it to Gary next time. Then he knows that obviously, right? Of course he does. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> All right, man. We'll. Uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, take right, care. Cool. As always, thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. I hope that you join us in the future. And if you like what you heard, maybe you want to go back and listen to some of our older episodes. You can do that by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the number three, the number four, the number three, coaching.com. On there, just go up to the top, click on the audio tab. That will bring you to a library of all of our previous episodes, which include conversations with Bob Bradley, Eric Winalda, Hugo Perez, Alexi Lawless, Kefren Fuller, Ted Westerfeld, and Gary Kleiben himself. So with that, we will see you guys again next time. Thank you.